thank you always for being a part of our worship service. Um, you know, Jesus is our King. Uh, he is our Lord. He is our God, and He is worthy of our praise. Amen. Uh, he is the reason. He is the cause for us to come together, to assemble, to fellowship, to sing, to give, to hear the Word. And there's no better place to be. Amen. There's no greater cause to join. There's no greater song to sing. We don't talk about it enough, but we have a privilege that many in history only dreamed about. No matter where we were born, uh, whatever country we might call home, life is still and always will be a gift. Worship is still a favorable opportunity from God, whether it's public, private, and secret. But, but we as Americans uh, cannot forget how good we have it, how fortunate our circumstances are. The, this weekend is all about reflecting and remembering, honoring those who pledged their lives and lost their lives for and defending and fighting for and protecting our freedom. You know, freedom is such a gift, isn't it? Especially in a fallen world where our wills are bent towards sin, having a government that waves the flag of opportunity and liberty and justice helps to spur us to be the best we can be and take advantage of this gift of freedom, or I hope it does. On this Memorial Day weekend, our best posture isn't laid back enjoying a day off, but rather our best posture is honor and worship. Where we honor those who have fallen, of course, but also worship the God who has blessed our nation. Psalms 33 verse 12 tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the one true God of Israel, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. You know, we don't talk about this enough, and, and you might not agree, but the Scripture tells us the government is a gift. It's sometimes hard to swallow, right? But the government is a gift. The leaders, the officers, the defenders in our government are ordained and appointed by God to carry out His goodwill. From the highest of offices to the local service men and women. To bring justice, to punish evil, and to work towards His eternal kingdom. Romans 13, the Apostle Paul teaches... Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted, have been put in place by God. That brings a lot of comfort, right, to us this morning. And maybe, maybe if it brings uncertainty, I hope that we can lean into God's sovereignty nonetheless. So we know that by honoring our country, by honoring our country and those who fought for our freedom, we are obeying God. And we also know that by obeying our land and its laws and observing days like this, we are honoring our God who receives the glory forever. Before we continue to reflect on the privilege God has given us, I feel like it would be fitting and appropriate to have a moment of silence, to honor those who have fallen, to honor those that fought that we might be able to worship freely this morning. Many of those that you may have been related to, many of those that you know and love and maybe bring a lot of emotions to you this day and, and the thought of someone dying for their country. Maybe that's very close to your home today. I feel like it's appropriate that we take a moment of silence to honor those and also turn our hearts to God with gratitude. And after the moment of silence, Rex has a special tribute that he's going to play to honor both our country, and most of all, our God. Let's pause. Amen. Thank you, Rex. That's awesome, Rex. Thank you. That's very special, and what a fitting and appropriate tribute, uh, pleasing to uh, I think, pleasing to all those um, 
remembering and I believe also pleasing to our Lord today. Um, you know, we as a church, we don't stop, however, at honoring those who fought for our country, but we also remember those who have carried the flag of our faith and forged the path that has led us here today. And that's what we're going to talk about for the remainder part of our time and, and how this blends with our call to be good citizens and how this blends to the covenant as a nation that we ought to have with God. And I want to do so by looking at a text that we're, I'm, I love and I'm very passionate about and I've preached several times before. If you want to open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, it's just a few uh, books into the, into the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you want to open and find a place there, we'll look at that in just a few minutes. Um, but again, we as a church, we have, we have debt towards and we owe our honor and appreciation towards not only those that have defended our nation, but we're a part of a much bigger kingdom, aren't we? Uh, we're, we're, we're joined side by side, arm in arm with many from around the world throughout time um, that have looked past what have often been, often been oppressive governments that have not had their best interest in mind as we ourselves have had the good fortune of. But we've stand arm in arm, side by side with many who have looked up beyond what they can see to what they cannot see to the king who is above all kings. You know, many have gone before us and have been martyred for their faith. Acts chapter 12 recalls a time when the king of the land of Judea, the time he, King Herod the king, uh, Herod the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So in the very earliest of days, the authorities, as the scripture says, set in place by God, the authorities that they were told to respect, laid violent hands on those that belonged to, synonymous with those who were believers. This helps bolster the importance of assembling in the house on days like this, doesn't it? And each and every week to belong, to believe together, to be better together, to be primed and positioned for, a, for our placement every single day that we might reflect the Lord Jesus, our Creator, our Savior, and our Good Shepherd. I think we began, if we began each and every day, not simply every week, but if we began each and every day from this place of remembering, if we reflected every morning, if we called to mind with every sunrise the glory and Spirit of God rising up to give us a fresh chance at living, wouldn't we be more pleasant? Wouldn't we be more gracious people? Wouldn't we be more humble and more selfless and more giving and more loving people if this was on our minds every day? I think so. I think we all could agree with that. Wouldn't we be people that would serve one another and our God? And we'd look a lot more like, we'd sound a lot more like, we'd act a lot more like Jesus, I think. You know, I think the proper way for Christians to observe Memorial Day is to both remember and recall their good fortune as citizens of their country and as citizens of God's kingdom. But of course, we know that this is not our home forever, but however, it is our home today. We acknowledge that we are seeking a homeland, one that is not subject to pass away. Today, we are exiles, but we are bound for a promised land. And it's true that our government is not perfect. Our laws are not infallible, but God is perfect. Amen? And His rule and His laws are flawless. So while we respect our government and our country, we stop short at hoping in and pushing all the chips forward because we know this is but a shadow of what's to come. 
We also know that there are times when we must take sides. Sides with God rather than man, as the early Christians did. We must obey God even if it conflicts with the ways and laws of the land. Because we are more sensitive to His will than we are to any others. We err on His side. In our world, in whatever land we call home, under whomever's authority and rule and what, under, before every, whatever throne, we, give heart, we take heart knowing that it is God who raises up and is God who sweeps away. It is God who gives power to and God who takes power from whomever He wills. Daniel records a conversation with a great king of his time. For his dominion is an everlasting kingdom, speaking of God. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay to his hand or none can say to him, What have you done? He raises up even the lowest of men and women and places them in positions of power. And I want to show you something that referencing that passage from Romans earlier. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 13 verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. Now, that person Paul was talking about was the emperor of the Roman Empire who has had just enacted persecution on the church. But Paul says, listen, God is greater and God is sovereign. And I'm not saying we always agree what, from what they say and what they enact, but we know that God is in charge. He is on a higher throne. And all this is building towards a kingdom that will be forever. A kingdom that will be upon His shoulders. So our lasting allegiance is always to a higher throne. Sometimes as Americans we find ourselves in solidarity with brothers and sisters in Christ from other countries before we would come alongside of those in our own land. Sometimes we have less in common with those in our counties, in our country, than we do with our kingdom brothers and sisters around the world. Our love for God is primary and premium. Only the value of our King, Jesus Christ, can we have a right order for our earthly affections and love. John Piper once said, Only our heavenly Father, our heavenly patriotism, can order our earthly patriotism. That's so true. Of course, in the ancient of days, there was a physical kingdom on earth that pointed towards this eternal kingdom that is coming soon. And that was, of course, the kingdom of Israel. The Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, it helps to capture this so uniquely because, of course, the Old Testament is God's covenant with ancient Israel. Israel was God's chosen nation. They were believers and they had personal faith. And, of course, that was essential. But God still addressed them as a whole. God always intended this Old Testament model of Israel to pave the road for all nations to follow suit. Israel was a light meant to spread the fire of God all over the world. Yes, the church carries this torch, but God intends and desires for governments and nations to get this. God always intended that church and state come together rather than go apart. He would intend that church and state cooperate for His glory, that we might say together, Thy kingdom come. The biblical model, God's age-old desire has always been that there wouldn't just be one nation under God, but that all nations could know and be under God. Because that's where this is all headed, right? 
We know and believe that this is a true statement. Psalms 47 verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations. Not just one nation, but all nations. He is over every tribe and every tongue. And one day believers from all over the globe will rise up and enter the eternal kingdom. The bigger picture, the goal in ancient Israel was that the model of Israel would become the standard for all nations. And you might wonder, what made Israel so special? Israel was God's gold standard for government, a nation under the sovereign rule of God, governed by law for the good of all of its people. Now, if that's familiar to you, it's because eventually another nation, it would take a few thousand years, but another nation would adopt that same model. A nation that aspired to be free from monarchies, kings and queens with absolute power, a parliament that was above the law. A nation that sought to erase the divide between haves and have-nots. A nation that wanted to cross, that wanted to allow any gaps or barriers to be crossed or overcome by ambition and determination. A nation that wanted to protect the weak and vulnerable rather than the powerful and the oppressive. A nation that wanted to ensure liberty and justice and opportunity for all people. A nation that sought to place the one true God, the most high God, as their only superior and allow law to govern everyone equally while establishing branches of government that would exist for the people and would move forward by the will of the people. And that nation, of course, is our nation. Israel served as a prototype that all earthly nations were encouraged to copy and adopt. But whether we do or not, we look forward to a heavenly kingdom that will fully realize God's ideal world. Because in the real world, even though God always keeps His part of the deal, the human element, the us element, often causes problems, doesn't it? Whether it's 2019's America or 1000 BC's Israel, we struggle at seeing God's ideal state realized, don't we? Read the Old Testament. It's a story of a struggle. Why is that, though? Why is it so hard if the Bible makes it so clear? Well, because the way the model works is, and the way this model lives and dies is, that God approaches people, God establishes people, and the people are called to trust in God and thereafter obey God. And we often point at the last part as being where it all falls apart. Right? We often say, well, the reason why everything's went, you know, fell apart is, the reason why things are not as good as they used to be is, people don't obey the Lord anymore. And that may be true, but the reason why people don't obey the Lord is because they have stopped trusting in the Lord. Right? It didn't fall apart in step four. Step four never came because step three is where it all fell apart. Obviously, God always keeps His part of the deal. It's easy to see disobedience, but trust is invisible. But it shows up in our behavior. Why, though? Why would we stop trusting? And as we always know, when we stop trusting God, we stop obeying God. Why would we stop trusting a God who approaches us and establishes us? Where would there be a better place to put our faith in? Or who would be more worthy of our trust? But isn't it true that as soon as God approaches and establishes us, as soon as we get comfortable, as soon as we feel like we've got it figured out, we start to stop trusting, right? We stop trusting in God. It's our nature, isn't it? Why is that? 
we start trusting in the establishment that God provided, right? We start trusting in the establishment. We shift our weight from His hands to our feet. Isn't it true? That God is saying, hey, I'll hold you up. I will hold you up. You don't have to sustain yourself, right? I am your creator. I am your maker. I am your caregiver. I will hold you up. Just trust me. I will lead you and I will not misdirect you. But what do we do? We let go of His hands, don't we? Come on. We're like when we're little in the grocery store and we're being held on by our parents, right? You, you, but you were that kid, right? I was that kid. Mama, let go, right? And we, don't even, we get three feet away from the buggy. We get scared, right? right? Or you're like me. You get caught on the intercom, right? Please report to the certain part of the store, right? We, 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 let, we say, please let me go. And we, let, we, get, we get away and we get lost, don't we? And thankfully, somebody knows where we're at because the toy aisle is only so big, right? But we get away and we get in trouble, but still the last, every time we have, we're, we're in their hands, right? We're just squirming, right? And we're just wiggling and saying, hey, please let me go. I want to go. I want to be free. Of course you do. We want to stand on our own feet, don't we? Do we ever think about when we shift our weight to our own feet, we are letting go of His hands that are willing to hold us up? No, we don't, do we? Because we want to be independent, don't we? What if I told you? What if I told you the solution to this issue could be solved if we started living upside down? Now follow me here. What if I told you that if the solution is that we rest in higher ground? I'm standing on what I see, but as a believer, I know that what I see isn't the only foundation that I have. It's not the true source of my strength. We need to start living and seeing the world upside down. You know, the early Christians, they were accused of living this way. Really? Yeah. This isn't just a stranger thing, thing, right? They were accused of living in the upside down, or as if things were not right side up. The early Christians, they were bringing the, the message, and they, they, they weren't afraid of dying. The Scripture says that they, were, they came into a town called Thessalonica, and there became, began reports all over town that the Christians weren't obeying the law that said, you can't worship anyone but Caesar, or you can't worship anyone but the Roman gods. And the, the, the reports began to sweep over Thessalonica. Hey, these Christ followers are spreading the name of Jesus even here. Here's what Acts tells us. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. The carpenter? The dead guy? They're claiming that he is a king of a greater kingdom. Now I want to show you a life hack that's going to seem silly and elementary but I think it actually has a practical potential to change your life. Instead of putting all my weight on the establishment, I'm going to lift my hands up to God who's above it all. What if we just started every day by looking in the mirror and saying, okay, my tendency is to put all my weight on the ground that I can see, on the people I can see, in the establishment that I'm a part of. But you know what, God? I'm going to make a statement right here. I'm going to lift my hands up, and I'm going to reach out to you. 
Because you're the one that established it. You're the one that gave me my life, my country, and my world. And as I reach up, if we were to see things upside down, what I'm actually doing is I'm resting in and I'm trusting in God who is holding me up, who I can rest in and on. What if we did that? What if we lifted up our arms every single day? And what is that a sign of? What is that a universal picture of? Surrender, right? Funny story, a while back there was apparently an armed person on the loose. Great part of town, right? No, somebody came down the road with a shotgun on their back or something. And uh, I'm sitting out here on an afternoon studying and I see about 12 deputies and state troopers pull up into the parking lot with their lights on and they're all like under the breezeway surrounding the parking lot. And I'm thinking, what did I do, right? There's no money here, I promise. But, you know, I don't see something, you know, just... So what my natural response was, I see these guys and they've got their AKs out, you know, they're ready to go because they're thinking of guys out here with an armed weapon. And I see these guys and my natural response is, and I wasn't joking, is this. And they looked, they, and one of the deputies knew me, and he pointed and started laughing, and I'm like, when he laughed, I, I did like this, but I was still kind of, eh, you know, because I don't want to, I don't know how that stuff works. So I just tiptoed to the door and opened the door and said, is, am I okay? And they're like, yeah, you're okay. Or maybe you should stay inside, but we're not after you. I was like, whew. <laughs> Got away with one. No. Surrender. So when we surrender, what are we doing? Surrendering, we are remembering that our true strength comes from God. We're putting our hands, we're putting our life in somebody else's hands, aren't we? Because that's where we stumble. That's where Israel stumbled time and time again. They forgot. They struggled keeping their eyes on the Lord. They would shift their faith from what they could see into what they could see, not who was watching over them. The Old Testament prophets would rise up over and over again and would call them to remember. Isaiah says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you were dug. Remember how you got here. Jeremiah says it so powerfully. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. When there wasn't any guarantee of provision, you looked toward and leaned on and trusted in me. And the Old Testament tells a story of how God literally led Israel out by the hand. He carried them as a parent carries their baby. All this was key in their formation as God was conditioning them to always trust in Him. He was trying to get ahead of what they would naturally drift toward, from trusting in Him to doubting Him and placing trust in someone or something inferior. God's people would always be met with the same issue. Can God, can we trust God and His plan? As they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land, God made daily efforts to subvert this human tendency to forget and doubt. They would wake up every morning for 40 years and find bread or cake or donuts, whatever you want to think of it as. It was sweet bread, right? With icing on top of the bread. And they would find it all over the ground. And as God would essentially take them, it was as if God was taking them in His lap day after day and spoon-feeding them 
He literally provided for them their daily bread. It only lasted for that one day, except on the Sabbath they would have, a t- have two days worth of provision provided the day before. The message was loud and clear though. It was not just God showing off. He was making it so obvious that God can and should always be trusted to provide for our needs. He knows. He cares. He can be trusted. After that period of 40 years, they finally arrive at the promised land. But Moses says, okay, God is not going to let us go in yet. God wants us to camp out and have a worship service. And they're groaning, right? Because, wow, this is going to last long because Moses is not a very short, uh, you know, he's, he's not a short-time uh, preacher. He, he's very long-winded. So Moses says, guys, we're going to hang out at this camp, and I want to review everything we've learned for the last 40 years. Really, Moses? It's going to be long, guys. Just sit back. So that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. Moses brings the people together, and Deuteronomy serves as Israel a reminder of what Israel learned during their 40-year journey. And to sum it all up, it was so that they might would confess, we are dependent on God. Moses said, listen, y'all can't go in until y'all promise we are dependent on God. Do you really mean it? And then, years later, Joshua would say this, would ask the same question before, whenever they had conquered the land and were settled that he made them promise we are dependent on God for everything from our daily bread to whatever. We must remember this because the day will come when we will be tempted to believe that God can't be trusted for our needs. We'll be tempted to turn from Him. If we do, we will suffer categorical losses in every way. Before we get out of here, I want to read some of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. It's incredible how relevant this text is for us all these years later. Look down at your Bibles, chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You know what that tells us? God is more concerned about them. He's more concerned about us being in His will than getting our way. And every parent says amen when, you, when you're talking about your children, don't you? See, our human need, our human nature races to the bottom. We find a place to lay. We will wallow our way to the bottom if left to our own, right? Let your dog loose and it finds the nastiest mess to get into, right? That's what our nature does. You're better than a dog, but just a little bit. We will make our bed in some of the worst places, won't we? And it's not like we're happy there. We'll complain the whole time about how we aren't where we wanted to be, how we don't have enough to be happy. But what does verse 3 through 5 tell Israel? He says that you would know that 
man lives by every word that comes from God's mouth. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell those forty years. You should know in your heart that as man chastens his son, the Lord your God will chasten or discipline you. God is trying to teach Israel. God is trying to teach us. Having enough is never enough. Having enough is not going to be enough. Simply having enough, having a need met, being without food isn't, or being with food isn't enough. There's something more important. And it's God's Word, it's God's law, it's God's worldview, it's His will. For 40 years, God connected His law with their need. So you know as much as it is important to have a need met or have enough, it's more important to stay under God's canopy and under God's care. Here's the awesome thing about this story. For 40 years, God had connected these dots. God had conditioned them. He was saying to the Jews, every time you eat, every time you take the manna off the ground, it is as if you are reminded, God is faithful. When you take the bread off the ground every morning, before you take it in your mouth, God is faithful. God can be trusted. It's a transaction that you're going to experience every single day. Every morning when breakfast is served, as you pick it up before you take it God is faithful every bite God is faithful God is faithful it's bigger than bread right it's my life it's my heart right Wherever I go, whatever I go through today, God is faithful. He was wiring them. He was holding them in His lap and spoon-feeding them so that they would know, so that they would never forget, God is faithful. You have no reason not to trust Him. Why was He doing this? So that they would never forget that having enough is not enough. Being in the will of God is enough. Experiencing God's provision for us is enough. It's not about the rock below us. It's about the rock above us. It's not about the king of our land. It's the king of heaven. It's not the law of this land. It's the law of His kingdom. It's not about the good of this land. It's the good that God is working for all eternity. Listen to verse 6. Moses says, don't separate the two. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His way and fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. But that stuff's not enough. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. That's our natural response, right? Well, God, thank you. See you later. Thanks for the provision. You'll have enough, but remember that is not enough. You'll easily fall into a habit, into a pattern of paying homage to God, but not honoring God. You'll pay tribute to God, but you'll slowly stop trusting God. Having your plate full is not enough to keep you here. Because you'll start trusting in yourself. That's your drift. Say, well, no, 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 I would never do that. I mean, look at verses 6 through 10 again. Look where it came from. I know where it came from. But I also know where you're going. 
Because as soon as you get your belly full, Moses says, you're going to want to run off. Look at verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I commanded you today. Well, why would we forget? Who would be so foolish to forget? Uh-huh. <clears throat> right? Verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your heart herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is filled, is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt from the house of bondage. When you have more than you need, you'll forget where it came from. You'll forget to stay under God's Word, seeking Him before seeking it. And when you have more, and suddenly one day you have less, you'll think, oh no, what do I got to do to get it back? You'll forget that when there's a need, you were always meant to, and always should, trust God. We don't have to live in a world of I don't, if I don't, it won't. Or if I don't, I don't, I, I won't get, if I don't do this, I won't get that. Because God has already said, He's already proven Himself as trustworthy. And here's what happens. When we take the responsibility, when we try to assume the role of God in our own lives, the burden of beginning is far greater than the burden of continuing. God created you. He can carry you. Amen? Listen, you know why we get overwhelmed whenever we try to pick up the pieces in the middle of something? Because we didn't have it in us to start it. So why do we think we've got it in us to carry it? You wonder why it's overwhelming in the middle of the mess? It's because we might have made the mess, but we didn't create the stuff to begin with. Our lives were created by God, and we can't manage them ourselves. When we try to carry those pieces, we will crumble under their weight. Only God is big enough to make you, and only God is big enough to carry and sustain you. And if you try to do that yourself, you will crushed, be crushed underneath it. God reminds them in verse 15, I led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty, uh, and thirsty lamb where there was no water who brought water for you out of the flinty rock who, led you, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that He might humble you, that He might test you to do good in the end or in the day when you move in. Look at verse 17. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my own hand has gained me this wealth. Come on. God is saying, I am the source for all your needs. I will meet them. Whoever gave us the potential for wants and desires anyway. Right? Where did that come from? The drive for progress. Who allowed and afforded us any of this? These opportunities. But isn't this where we end up so many times thinking that we did all this ourselves and that we owe it to ourselves? Isn't this where we end up so often? Isn't this the root cause of our drift away from God? Why does sin attempt to shift our trust from God to ourselves? Why does sin do that? Because if God isn't providing for us, then God isn't our guiding force. If He's not our provision then He's not our vision. So if sin convinces you to erase God from your life, 
then guess what? You're blind and you have no ability or sense to lead yourself, let alone protect yourself from yourself and from whatever else the world throws at you. And that's why verse 18 might be the most important verse you read for a long time. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power and the ability to get wealth that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. That the ability we have to get anything comes from Him. The warning here is the goods and gifts of this world will overpower and consume us if we forget who gave them to us. If we forget, we won't use them for Him and they will end up using us. And the thing is, they'll run out, they'll fade away, and then so will we. But we got to remember, we received from God so that we might return all things to God. That we might use them for God. We are His people. This is His kingdom. He approached us. He established us. He cares for us. In the midst of our sin and bondage, He comes to us and saves and delivers and leads and provides. Verse 19, Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. The word there means to spoil and rot and worst of all, be forgotten. Verse 20. Like or as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. What nations? What nations? Exactly. No one remembers. Nobody remembers those nations. All because those nations didn't remember the Lord. So what does this text make loud and clear to us? If we live for Him, we are living forever. If we live for less, we will lose forever. He is our source of life. He is our strength. He is our future. And here we we need to know this. Satisfaction ought to come with a warning label. Take care lest you forget. Let me say this. Forgetting isn't a memory problem. It's a moral problem. Nobody is sitting home today intentionally on their own power and their right mind. No one sits home on Sundays because they have a memory issue. Nobody rises up tomorrow and wastes the gift of life because they have a memory issue. When we say, by my own power and my own strength have I gotten these things, that's not memory loss, that's moral failure. Right? So listen, the world may not know, but we do. Many of us, we have been through seasons where God set us up in His lap day after day. He wired us to believe the right way. We can look back to our formation and we know our nation has no excuse. Our church has no excuse. Our family has no excuse. I have no excuse. Christians, we have no excuse. May we shift our focus from what we have to who we have. And remember, more important than having enough is remembering that He is enough. We must make a habit of trusting God, honoring God, making trusting and honoring God a lifestyle. And here's the big 
solution to it all. Remembering should be a daily habit so that surrendering will be our daily lifestyle. I gotta ask you to do something for me and with me. I know it's silly, but lift up your arms. Come on. We'll all look silly together. Remember, the kingdom's upside down, isn't it? May this remind you what we must do every single day. What if we did this every day? What if we could start a trend in our community, in our country, in our churches? What if we started every day, God, this is all for you. I'm living upside down. I'm holding on to you. You're holding on to me. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to rest on my power. I'm going to trust in your power. What if we started every day like that? Right? Revival would sweep over our nation, wouldn't it? And if we just do this once, it's not going to matter. I didn't say y'all could put them down. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Remember. Surrender. Remember. Surrender. Those two words can save your life. Your marriage, your home, our nation. Remember. Surrender. Let me pray for you. Father, we lift up our hands to believe again. You are our refuge and our strength. We know that it's from You that we have received all things. And it's for You that we have received all things. More important than having enough is remembering that You are enough. So Father, help us to always remember. Help us to always remember to surrender. And God, that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to publicly and corporately as a body surrender to you. Father, if there's anybody in the house today that needs to surrender their life to you, they've never been saved. They have never put their faith in Jesus. They don't live for him because they've never been saved by him. God, I pray you might would make that invitation to them very personal today. Bring them to a place of total surrender. God, for the rest of us, we need to surrender again and again and again and again because we are so prone to forget. It's by your power and by your goodness that you've given us all these things. So Father, may we return them to you and honor you with them. May we remember to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.